Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, sometimes called the Sermon on the Amount, uh, because it's about money. And so let's stand together and we'll read these six verses. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect together on God's word. It's the kind of movie that, you know, that plays again and again. And when you flip the channels and you see it, for me, I just stop and watch it. You know, I'm like, okay, I've got to stop. I've seen this five times. Uh, but one of the most important scenes in the trilogy is uh, when this hobbit, this little man, if you haven't seen the movie, he's out on a river and he's fishing. And it's a very placid scene. They, they've, they shot the scene so perfectly. It's very sunny. These two guys with what look like sort of cane poles. And they're just in this little boat that they have. And they're fishing and it looks like they're having a great time. And uh, one guy catches a fish and actually pulls him into the water. And while he's under the water, he finds the ring of power. And he just sort of picks it up. He doesn't even really realize what it is. And he kind of gets to shore and he opens up in his hand and he has this ring of power. And his friend, whose name is Schmeagel, sees the ring of power. And they both immediately have an unusual attraction to the ring. And in the way they did it in the movie, this sort of placid background music turned into a heartbeat. Bum, 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 bum. And it just grew in intensity as these two men to get, began to wrestle for the ring. Then they began to fight for the ring. And then they began to have a, 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 you know, a fight for your life for the ring. And finally, Schmeagel actually kills his friend. Just a few minutes before, He's just on this wonderful time with his friend and they're fishing. And now this ring of power has come into their lives and somebody's got to have it and the other person can't live. And so it has this blinding effect on him that he doesn't, after he kills his friend, he doesn't even look at his friend. He just grabs the ring and he holds up the ring. And if you remember, if you're a fan, you remember what he says? My Precious. And he puts the ring on and he disappears. And it's a way to say if the ring of if you have the ring of power, it has you. 
and who you were disappears. Now, he comes back in the movie as another, he's the same guy, but he's got a different name called Golem, I think is how you say it. And he's very distorted. He has some of the same features, but because he's had this ring of power, it's caused him to be very distorted. Jesus is going to talk about a ring of power. That, it, that if you have it in the wrong way, in a way that it has you, you get distorted. You disappear from who you were, and you get distorted into a, another kind of person. And that ring of power is wealth. It's possessions. It's, it's money. And so he, he comes into this particular place. He's, he's very aware of how distorting this power can be how how distorting money in your pocket money in your bank account or even the lack of money in your pocket or bank account can actually distort you interestingly enough andrew carnegie most of you familiar with his name one of the wealthiest men in the steel uh, um, material uh, part of pennsylvania he was one of the richest men in history and this is what he said as he observed himself and his interaction with wealth. Man must have an idol. That's just an interesting statement all by itself. Carnegie, I don't know anything about his faith, but he understood man will serve something. Every every man and woman is, is built to serve something. So he says man must have an idol The amassing of wealth is one of the worst species of idolatry. No idol is more debasing than the worship of money. Now listen how he ends. It has the power. It has the power to degrade me beyond hope of permanent recovery. If you make this your idol, it has a power. It has a power that can degrade you from any hope of permanent recovery. Now, this is Andrew Carnegie. And Jesus clearly understands this power. He knows that when money becomes your treasure, when it, when it becomes precious, then it begins to disfigure you. And so he brings us into this famous part of the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's saying, I, I want you to follow after me, and I want you to know one of the, the hardest things to do is to take off that ring. In, in the world, you had that ring on, and that maybe gave you value. But when you come over into the kingdom of, of heaven, when you come into my kingdom, you've got, you've got to take off that ring of possession. You've, you've got to... Uh, stop what's a normal or a very uh, frequent false narrative that goes through people's minds that material possessions or money will make me secure, powerful, successful, and happy. That's a false narrative. That's a story that many people have in their lives. They think, If they have enough money, then they're going to be secure. They're going to be happy. They're going to be powerful. They're going to be successful. You may have heard the famous response by John D. Rockefeller, another another wealthy American. How much money is enough, somebody asked him. You remember his famous reply? Just a little more. 
See, it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum today. It doesn't matter if you look around and say, well, he's not talking to me. Because all these other people that you can identify seem to have more. See, wherever you are on the spectrum, Jesus says, it has a power. And part of the power is believing if you just had a little more, then everything would be okay. That's part of its power. And it's a distorting, it's a disfiguring power. So Jesus is going to try to help us to get away from this ring of power, this ring of possession, by three very simple things. And we're going to go backwards through the text. First of all, we're going to see that he gives us a principle, verse 24. He gives us a principle. Then he gives us a picture, verse 22 and 23. And then he gives us a practice. Very easy for us to remember. He, he gives us a principle. Then he's going to give us a picture like every good sermon, every good preacher gives us an illustration. And then he's going to leave you with a, a practice. So at, before we get to that, one, one preliminary comment. Uh, several months ago, I, I had the occasion. It was, a, it was an unusual occasion to call a, a college girl uh, and give her some information to pass something along. And it was somebody I, she had visited the church a couple times, but I didn't really know her. She didn't really know me. And uh, I had to call her on a Saturday morning. So I called her on Saturday morning and I woke her up. And I passed along the information. And uh, the next day we had this conversation. And she said, I just couldn't imagine why you were calling me. I just thought, you must be asking for money. <laughs> I thought, okay, honey. First of all, if I was looking for money, a college girl would not be the first target. I mean, I'm I'm done with ramen noodles. That's a, I'm I'm it's over. But but secondly, I, I thought I don't talk that much about money actually. I don't, we don't end up talking about that topic for whatever the reason is. It doesn't, it doesn't come across the sermon schedule, maybe like it should, actually. Because it's very interesting when you just stick to the Gospels, if that's all you were preaching through, uh, 15% of all that Jesus says, he's concerned about money and possession. So imagine about every fifth or sixth sermon you come through and say, yeah, about about every month and a half, Paul's going to circle back around to money and possessions. If he just taught on the parables, half of the parables have to do with money and possessions. Jesus said twice as much about money than he did about prayer and faith combined. You see what that tells you? It has a power. And it has a power over every human being. And he's aware that that power exists in your other world. And he's got to help us out by getting us into a different place. And so the very first thing he does here is he gives us a principle. Verse 24, you cannot serve God and money. Very easy to see. There, there's two ways to live and you can't, you can't serve both ways. And, and Jesus' principle here tells us something very important about the human position. Notice the position that he puts us in. We're servants. 
You cannot serve God and money. Our position is that we're servants. Just let that sink in for a minute. Everyone here is a servant. No one here is an owner. No one here is a master. Everyone here does serve. That's our DNA. That's how we were constructed. The question is, who are we going to serve? That's the real question. Even Andrew Carnegie understood that everyone must have an idol. Everyone's going to serve serve something. So the question is, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve money? It's impossible, Jesus says. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. So who do you serve? And notice Jesus' principle also tells us about the power of wealth. He calls it or refers to it as a master. See, God can be your master or money can be your master. And in money, Jesus assigns almost like a godlike quality to money. You see what he's saying? That, that money has a kind of power that it exhibits godlike qualities. For instance, money outlasts you. You can have influence it past your life because of your money. It seems to have kind of a, an extended or an eternal quality about it. You, you can change your family tree, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, by, by the money that you make. And for good or for ill, your, your money has an eternal, it feels like this eternal characteristic Money exerts a, a wide circle of influence. People notice if you have money. People respect in some ways money. That's why we have the phrase money talks. It has a power. It has a voice. It's maybe even bigger. It comes before you. Wealth pretends to offer what we want from God. We want happiness. We want comfort. And wealth seems to, to look like it's going to provide those things. So it's easy to serve money. So God, Jesus knows all those things. So he, he knows that there's two masters. And, and just think about how opposite the agendas are of these two masters. These masters have agendas. And you're going to serve one or the other, and depending on which one you line up underneath, Jesus knows they have an agenda. I have an agenda, Jesus says. Money has an agenda. Money as a master will, will take you on a completely different course in your life than God is your master. If money is your master, you've got to be comfortable. And you don't only have to be comfortable, you have to be comfortable right now. I cannot wait on my cup of coffee. I don't like it if somebody's in line in front of me. I don't like that my microwave takes 30 seconds instead of three to heat the thing up that I want. I got to have my comfort right now. And money as a master drives you to, I've got to be comfortable. And if I can't get it right now with the money I have, guess what? You should borrow money in order to get comfortable. 
That's what money says. Money makes you want to have safety. I just, I just need a little bit more because, I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I've got to be comfortable and I've got to be safe. I've got to have money as a, like a moat between me and life. And the, the bigger moat I have, then more life can come in and really can't get to me because I'm protected by money. So I've got to be comfortable. I've, I've got to have safety. I've got to have power. Money makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like you're in charge. You can get things done. You can do something. Think about that. Comfort, safety, and power. That's, that's part of money's agenda. Comfort, safety, and power. If you were to read the Gospels, would you come away with Jesus saying, I want you to have comfort, safety, and power? <laughs> That's the very opposite message that you'd get from Jesus. He, he's more like, take risks, sacrifice, serve. So Jesus understands this principle. It's very important that we have this principle. You and I are going to serve. The question is who we're going to serve. And I just want you to know they have totally different agendas. Then we have this uh, picture, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's kind of an unusual uh, illustration. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, in other words, if you think you can see but you can't, then really you're in real trouble. You're in real darkness. What Jesus is trying to say here is money has a blinding effect. Money is like a, 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 a lamp, or your eyes are like a lamp to your body. In other words, I open my eyes and it helps me say, walk through those doors, don't try to go through the wall. Gives me direction and orients the rest of my body. My whole body needs the eyes in order for me to go in the right direction. It's kind of like a, a headlight. And just notice Jesus' carefully crafted illustration if your eye, this very small piece of the body, is healthy, if it, and the word healthy there in the Greek means single, if it has a single focus, it's, if it's not blurry, if you don't have double vision, that, then your entire body benefits from it. But if this one little thing in your life is out of order, your whole life gets out of order. Do you see what he's saying? If this thing, money and possession, is in the right order, then your whole body's going to follow in a healthy way. But you can have a lot of other healthy things, but if this one thing is unhealthy, your whole body is going to be running into walls the rest of your life. It, money affects your entire life. So you, you might be here this morning, and you might, set, you might be a visitor. Let's say you're a visitor. And you think, oh my gosh, I came during Christmas, and the guy preached on money. I really am sympathetic to that. You just happen to be in the Sermon on the Mount. Here we are. God's providence, I would say. But you might say something like this. I just wish we could just talk about spiritual issues. I mean, I'm here. I'm in church because I need some spiritual diagnosis. I need some spiritual help. Just stay away from my checkbook. That's like a different part of me. That might be something you would say. And Jesus wants 
you to hear that there's a fundamental connection between your spiritual life and your wallet. It would be as if you went to the doctor and you just wanted sort of like this well checkup. You know, make sure my heart's working, my lungs are clear, everything looks good, blood tests, all that kind of stuff. But he sits down with you, and what's the first thing he does? Well, okay, what do you do for work? Uh, What's your family history? Tell me about stress in your life. And you want to go, I'm not here for any of those things. Just check my heart. That's what I want you to do. Check my heart. Is that is it still ticking off? All my bones seem to still be lining up right. Okay, good. That's you work on my physical body, doctor, and I'll work on the other part. And he's going to say to you, the other part has a massive influence on your physical body. Your family history has a massive influence on your body. Your stress level. The work you do has a massive influence on your body. And Jesus is trying to say the same thing. You can't disconnect your money from your spirituality. They're very intimately connected. They're so connected that it has this power. He's got to carve out a few verses to say, guys, if, if you get this, if you get the rest of the Sermon on the Mount down and you miss this one thing, you might be in for disaster. It's a, it's, it's a, like an eye. But if you go blind, it hurts the rest of your walk. So we've got to pay attention. And here's the kicker in verse 23. If you think your eyes are good, but really they're bad, then you're really in a dark place. In other words, Jesus is pointing out that some people, when he's talking to this crowd, some people in the crowd think, I'm okay. And he's trying to say, but you're not okay. And it's going to be very hard for him to help people who think that they're okay. You can usually get somewhere in a counseling session when somebody says, I'm looking for help. But when they come in and they're not really looking for help, they really just want to unload, then you're not going to get very far. When somebody comes and unloads, maybe that's what they need to use me for. That's fine. But then I say, do you want help? Sometimes they go, no, I'm just not looking for help. I'm just looking for a place to back up the truck today, Pastor Paul. Okay. I get that. I'm under, I understand that. But I don't try to help somebody who doesn't say, I'm looking for help. But see, if you're blind and you don't know it, you're not even asking for help. And Jesus says money and possession, it has a blinding effect. Let me just list a couple for you. First of all, it can blind you. Money and possession can blind you from thinking that you're greedy. I'm not greedy. I know somebody who is. And that person is, they drive that car, they live in that neighborhood, they are part of that club, they, you list it. See, the difficulty about this situation is you only need one friend who's richer than you to think that you don't have enough money. You only need to be in a neighborhood next to the bigger neighborhood and say, well, no, I'm, I'm not the greedy people. They're the people over there. Do you see? It has a blinding effect. If you're sitting here saying, this, isn't a, this sermon really doesn't apply to me, I'm not greedy, you're probably blind. You probably don't see the kind of possession it has of your soul because it, it has this blinding effect. Money and possessions blind you from remembering whose money it is. 
You see, what I've said before, so often we get into earning and we think that we're the owners, we're the masters and not the servants. We've earned wealth rather than we've been entrusted with wealth. And a little gauge and tell you if if you've got a hold of your money or your money's got a hold of you is the Old Testament principle of the tithe. It's just a gauge. Some people say in the New Testament it's not really preached in the same way as the Old Testament. That's fine. I still think it's a pattern to follow. And I think it's a gauge. If you say, I just can't give away 10% of my money, you're blind. I hate to be that cold. But if you just say, I make $50,000 and there's no, I don't have $5,000 in my 50 to give back to God, then you're blind. If you say... Yes, I give my 5000 but the rest is mine. You're blind. It's all his, you see? He owns all of your money. You will not be taking any of it with you. Nobody's going to come here on your deathbed and throw dollar bills into your casket. It is all his. The first 5000 you give and the other 45000 that you spend. He's going to have you give an account for all the money that he's given you. You're like his in- investor. And he's away and you're investing his money and he's going to come back and he said, what did you do with that 10%? No, he's going to say, what did you do with all of it? How did you live your life in a way that's reflective of me with, with all of your money, not just... And see, it's so easy, is it not, to to identify this kind of blindness, this kind of feeling like it's mine and other people before you can identify it in yourself? This is going to happen to you, I hate to say, for some of you, Christmas Day. You have a couple, three kids. It's all you need. You buy a gift, you know, and you want your kids to play with the other kids' gifts. So even though... You know, this guy got the Razor scooter or whatever. It's okay if the other kid gets a try, isn't it? Not to that kid. (laughs) You've just given him the Razor scooter, have you not? And little brother would like a turn. And what does big brother say? It's mine. No, I just gave it to you. Do you see how quickly gifts become possessions? It happens in every human heart. You don't have to be five. Piece of jewelry. Car. Piece of technology. It's mine. Nothing is yours. You're just managing it for God. He's going to come one day and say, how did you manage everything that I gave you? And it won't be good enough just to say, I gave you my 10%. Going to ask about the whole percentage that he gave you. Let me give you one last illustration because this never has left my mind since I heard it. Several years ago, we had some missionaries from China come and visit, and they were actually moving back after 25 years of being in China. And they were just telling us about stories in China. And they were talking about the history of China that in, in 1949, China became a communist country, and so it became closed, closed to the gospel. It was a real uh, time of turmoil for Christians that had been in that country. 
and you couldn't legally enter as a missionary any longer, and, and I don't believe you, you still can. And they just talked about 20, their 25 years in that country and what it was like. And then they made this statement, this door of openness now, the Chinese church is a growing, one of the fastest growing churches in the world. So there seems to be a door of openness. This is what they said, has only a five to ten year window. I was like, oh, man. They know something I don't know. I mean, what's going to happen in five to ten years that's going to be like communism? It's going to close the country down again. They must see something on the horizon. I'm, I'm not aware of it, so I'm, I'm leaning in saying, well, what, what's going to happen in China that's going to close the whole country off to the gospel? And their answer was wealth. Isn't interesting? Because it's got such an economic engine, people are going to move into a wealthy class and they're not going to have the same need for God anymore. Once they move into a certain class, they think erroneously that the wealth that they have is going to provide all the things that they were looking for God to give them. And I thought, if that's the assessment of China... What would be the assessment of America? So money has a blinding effect. We, we don't even see it in ourselves. So my, my hope in this particular part, when we think about this, we, we just ask ourselves, is it possible that I'm blind to something, Lord? Is it possible that I've been one of these people that just thought erroneously about my money as being mine, or I gave my 10% and I get to do whatever it is, just be open to asking God how he might help you see something. Finally, a practice. He gives us an action plan. So we have this principle, and then we have this picture, and then Jesus says, hey, you've got to put something into action. So verse 19, do not... You, you've been laying up for yourselves treasures on this earth. Now, do not. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moss and rust, rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. But do, do lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Also, God is after our hearts here, not after our money. So the first thing, do not. He's like saying, reverse course. You've been going this way, let's reverse course and, and go a different way. You've got to stop spending your money in the wrong direction. You've got to stop digging a hole before you can get out of it. Stop, stop spending your money on things that won't last. Maybe two months ago I went to the dump up 421. I love the dump. I really do. I, that might make me weird, but I, it's such a cool place. First of all, I love getting rid of stuff. I just, that brings my heart joy to empty stuff out. Some of you are opposite of that. I understand that. But when you go there, it's like a old treasure chest. Now, there are no treasures up there now, but you could see what was what, what was a treasure? What was underneath somebody's Christmas tree a few years back? And there is a mountain of big box televisions at the dump. If you haven't been there, it's really worth going to see. You know, you can't even give away your big box television. 
I've got this big thing. It weighs about 4,000 pounds in my garage. I can't pick it up. And I remember thinking, this is awesome. I'll never need another television besides this one. Whoops, I can't even give it away now. Your technology, I mean, Apple's got it going on. As soon as you get used to your Apple 4, it's 5. It's 5, it's 6, it's 6, it's 7. And it's every couple years right when your contract runs out. But all that stuff, you invest in stuff that's not going to last, no matter how valuable you think it is right now. You do not want your parents to rewrap last year's Christmas gifts and give them to you again. Why? You want new stuff. I want new stuff. And the stuff that fades away, Jesus is saying, stop investing so much in in that stuff. You do realize when we're in heaven, you know, the conversations we're going to have are not going to be about the Yeti cooler I had. I mean, in, in 10 million years, I'm not going to be sitting around with one of you, my buddies, and saying, remember that Yeti cooler you got? That was awesome. Remember those granite countertops? Whoops, hit a little too close to home there. You know, that, that's, you're not going to be talking about that stuff. Uh, another way to, to not... He's saying, do not. Another false narrative we have in our minds is, I, I live, I save, I give. A lot of us, maybe we wouldn't put it in those words, but that's the way we, we live our lives practically. I live. I have a certain life. I have a certain number of bills to pay. I have a certain lifestyle I want to maintain. I have certain clothes I want to wear. So I live, and that takes an X amount of dollars. And I know I'm supposed to save, so I save, and then if there's something left over, then I give. That's a false narrative. First of all, you can obviously see it just puts you at the center. So we need to rework that thinking into I give, I save, and then I live. If you could just switch that around from this sermon, that would be huge. And it's not just because I think that's helpful. I think that's the biblical pattern. Remember in Deuteronomy, the, this idea of first fruits? Remember that? They, all these people were farmers back then. And so they'd gone through a season where there wasn't any growth. They'd been planting and plowing. And finally, the first apple comes out or the first rice or wheat or whatever it is they were growing comes out. And they're like, yes, finally, we're ready to eat. And God says, I want that part. I want the first part. Why? Why don't you get the second part? Because I'm awfully hungry right now. Or why don't we wait till the end of the harvest season and see what's left? And no, he said, I want you to make. I want to make sure you understood every part comes from me, and I want the first part. So you get your paycheck, and you just say the first part. That's God's, because it's all coming from God. He's going to supply all the things that I need. So that's my principle. At first, I'm going to give. Then I'm going to save. And then I'm going to live. And it's my guess that many of us would want to do more for the kingdom of God. But we would say something like this. Yeah, I just don't have the resources. 
maybe you don't have the right priorities. It's possible you have the resources, you don't have the right priority. Do lay up for yourselves. Isn't that interesting? There's stuff you're going to enjoy in heaven. So lay up for yourselves those kinds of things. There are stories you're going to be talking about in heaven that for 30 million years you're going to be saying, Oh, you remember that? That was awesome. And it's not going to be the Yeti cooler. It's not going to be the granite countertops. It's going to be some investment in God's mission that you're going to say, that was incredible, and it's still incredible now. And you know how the stories get better and richer as you go along. Imagine a 30 million story, year story. That would be incredible. He's, he's saying, make strategic investments in things that are going to be talked about in 30 million years. What's God doing? What's his mission? Where can you join in? Not just with your money, but your time and, and your talent. When I was in India, the pastors of the churches that we support in India, they make $100 a month. Think about that. You could give to Alpha $100 a month. That's basically your cable bill. And a church could be planted by a guy who would live off that $100 for a whole month. You're going to be talking about that for 30 million years, not your cable. That's an eternal investment. Every, every few years we have ministry apprentices. Next year, probably in 2017, we'll have two. And we have to have housing, free housing for them. Maybe that's the way you can invest. It's not just money. It's got to open up your home. You've got to open up your life. We have so many things that, uh, so many needs we see, especially through the tutoring program. Maybe it's just regular giving to Christ Community Church because the, the power of the preached word is having an effect on you and the community. See, see, what is it that you would say, okay, God's got my attention. I, I've got to let go of this ring of power that I've hold on to. I, I can't allow money to make me think it's going to make me happy. It's going to give me security. It's going to give me power. It's going to give me safety. I'm letting go of that. What could you invest in? What, what's, what is God drawing your heart to in terms of his Mission. First Peter two seven. I'll just close here. Peter is talking about Jesus, and he says, "Now to you who believe, this stone, in referring to Jesus, is precious." When Jesus becomes precious. And you roll it over and over again in your hand. You will easily give up the things of this world and become gracious and generous. It won't be hard to do. So if you're thinking it's going to be hard, I would want you to think about Jesus first. 
and allow him to become precious. And then the things that he gives you, you'll figure out, I trust, how to give those away. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a very few people's favorite sermon. Nobody will say, hey, preach that again next week. <clears throat> but it's, it's probably because it has this exposure to our lives that we just don't want somebody messing with our pocketbook. And we don't see how it's really connected to our soul, but, it, oh, it's, it is. And so you, you are so kind to come and say, hey, you've come out of this world of darkness. You've, you've, you've been brought into the kingdom of heaven, and you're kind enough to come along and say something about anger, say something about lust, say something about treasure. And we, need, we desperately need your help. So would you help your people, especially in this season where we think about you coming to give, that you would be precious to us and we would, we would give. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.